0: Hi there, and thanks for listening to the Adulting is Easy podcast. This is Lauren, and I manage the Adulting is Easy blog and podcast, which can be found at realadultingiseasy.com. Today, I have another bonus episode for you. It is the recording of a Spaces that was done November 17th, 2021, with I am Coach Clint, Stephen Wealthy, the Frugal Gay, and CJ Smith, as well as myself. And it's all about real estate strategies, short-term rentals, flipping, commercial mixed use buying before things are built we cover a lot of different topics here and i hope you enjoy it
1: to start off tonight Lauren, i thought you could do the first introduction and then we'll work our way around the circle if you just want to pass it on to the
0: next person when you're done yeah sounds good thanks clint hey everybody i am lauren from adulting is easy i have the adulting is easy podcast and i am working on this recording Um, You may have noticed from the last one we did, it's kind of hit or miss in terms of quality, but we should at least be able to capture something from it. Um, I am based in Tampa Bay, Florida. I am 32. I am married. My husband is 29 years old. Um, My bachelor's is in finance. I just completed a personal financial planning certificate from Boston University. Um, Our portfolio is about 40% stocks, 10% private equity in my uh, husband's engineering firm, Um, real estate is about 50% of our holdings. We currently have eight doors. And by the end of the year, we should have that up to 12. And our primary strategy is STRs or short term rentals. So I'll be talking about that tonight, Tom, do you want to go next?
2: Sure thing. Uh, my name is Tom Brickman. I am known as the frugal gay on Twitter and Instagram. I am a real estate investor in two markets. I'm in Dallas, Texas and Toledo, Ohio. I currently have 14 doors, and by the end of this month, it should be up to 16. I'm working on a, a duplex right now. This evening, I'm going to go through a 2019 acquisition uh, that I purchased in Toledo, Ohio. It's a mixed-use commercial space. Um, it has one commercial space and three residential units in it, and I'm just going to kind of walk you guys through the deal, walk you through the numbers, and, and kind of explain my strategy with that acquisition and that that rental that I currently hold in my portfolio. Uh Steve, you want to go next?
3: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate that. Um hey everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight. Um I'm Stephen Wealthy and I run a blog called stephenwealthy.com and I have a bachelor of commerce degree. Uh, I've been working as self-employed IT consultant for the last uh well, since 2003, self-made millionaire, made most of it based on index funds and stocks and also through real estate. And then over the last year, been getting heavy into crypto and also Ethereum mining and Ethereum validating. So I run my own Ethereum 2.0 node and I have six mining rigs um, making Ethereum for me. The deal that I'm going to step with you guys through tonight is a flip that I did Uh, earlier this year from January through to July and uh, excited to share that experience with you. CJ, do you want to go next?
4: Yes, sir. Um, First, I want to thank you guys for um, inviting me to the Twitter space. uh, Steven, Clint, uh, Lauren, and Tom. Appreciate that. Um, I'm 28 years old. I'm married. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I have a bachelor's degree in business management. Um, I played two and a half years in the NFL. Uh, Right now I'm a real estate agent. So that's my day job. I own five doors, um, I turned one of those doors into a short-term rental, and I cash flow $4,000 from real estate. Um, I'm, going, I'm going to be walking uh, you guys through value-add house hacking, um, show you guys how my wife and I bought our first property. Clean you're up.
1: Thank you, CJ. So my background, I am a CFO of a real estate development company by day. In that role, we have real estate development, we have an income property portfolio, And we have a mortgage investment corporation and some ownership in a real estate investment trust that is a Canadian real estate investment trust. But it builds or buys, refurbishes, repositions, refinances uh, apartment communities and low rise communities in Seattle. I'm in Vancouver, B.C. I am married and a father to a 13 and 10 year old boy. And we're on uh, our way to my 10-year-old's hockey game tonight. From a personal investing in real estate perspective, 92% of our portfolio is in real estate, 5% is in Bitcoin, and 3% is in effectively ETFs. Currently, we have eight doors either closed or under contract. With a market value of $9 million, I intend to write an offer on our next two doors in the spring. And we'll talk to you tonight about a theory on the area that I choose to target and the product type that I choose to target and why that has evolved over time and how to use that type of thinking to drive higher returns in the long run and so without further ado lauren do you want to dive right into your theory and strategies yeah what i was thinking lauren was we could go in the same order that we did the introduction so everyone knows uh seamless yeah
0: that's perfect that sounds good so i'll kick it to tom when i'm done and everybody, Stephen Wealthy is um, at Stephen Wealthy and then underscore. He is the one that's kind of fielding his DMs for questions tonight. So keep that in mind. If you have any questions, you can send them to him. And um, if we have time after we're done sharing, we might allow some speaking too. So we'll, depending, we'll, we'll see how that goes. All right. So without further ado, let me get into my house hack here in um, Tarpon Springs, Florida. So about, let's see, this was like the beginning of 2020. I, uh, my husband and I were in a primary home and we were renting out my first primary home that I had bought, you know, when I was like 22, 23 years old. And I looked at him and I I said, Hey, I know we've only been here like three years, but I kind of want to move. And he was like, what? No, like, I feel like we just got here. We're going to stay here. And I was like, but listen, we're looking for a rental I really would like to buy a primary and get a rental for free, like a, like a two for one deal. I was like, house hacking is the best thing that we can do. And that means live in one unit, buy a, buy a small multi two to four units, live in one unit and rent out the rest. And I was like, then we can live for free because our mortgage payment for the year, like this includes principal interest taxes and insurance was $25,000. And I was like, that's like thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars in pre-tax income that we were, you know, basically needing to make just to just to pay for our house for thirty years. It was just insane, and you know, um, so I was like, the best way to get that number one budget line item to go away is to buy a house hack and so after about 15 minutes i had him talked into it it wasn't a very hard hard sell and so i um so we we started looking we found a home in um like a touristy area in a place called here in tarpon springs florida It's like uh, there's sponge docks here. It's the largest concentration of Greeks outside of Greece. Um, So for that reason, instead of going a long-term rental house hack direction, we went with a short-term rental option. So we bought a house. It's a three, two and a half. Main home. It had two um, ADUs, which are accessory dwelling units, and it had like a dilapidated mobile home on it. And it sounds like a gigantic p- piece of property, but it's really not. And so we bought it for two hundred eighty-five thousand dollars. It had been on the market for over six months, so it started being listed almost at four four hundred. So we bought it for well, we were in a contract for three thirteen or three like thirty, and then we negotiated down to three thirteen, and then we negotiated down to 285. And so we finally purchased it for 285. We put 20% down because it's a primary, but we also didn't want to pay PMI. So we did that. And and just so you know, guys, I'm at adulting is easy. And I did tweet some of these numbers earlier today. If you want to like physically look at them while I'm talking about them, we did a renovation for 2020 and, and 2021. The 2020 stuff was planned, the 2021 stuff was not. These were things that passed the inspection. And ended up needing to be fixed this year. So last year we did things like the, um, we did the, we did the roof. We did a full structure replacement, um, new fence, totally new landscaping. We did the kitchen. We did the master bathroom. We did the floors. We did um, the floors and, you know, kind of a light remodel in one of the units. Um, And then in 2021, we did a full remodel of one of the cottages because of some leaks We put in a new roof on another cottage because of some leaks and we put in a new AC and we found out we had termites and we were not bonded. So we're about to get everything tented. We replaced the dilapidated mobile home with a camper. And so we rent that out. And so that's kind of the situation that we're sitting in now. We ended up putting $250,000 into it on top of the $285,000 purchase price. We then did a one hundred thousand dollar cash out refi and bought a duplex with that money. So all in, we have one hundred fifty thousand dollars into this place, and we have about two hundred fifteen thousand dollars in equity. About a year and a half after we bought it, um, so that was the that was the, <laughs> that was the trials and tribulations of twenty twenty. It took us about five months to do the remodel and to get ready and listed on Airbnb and VRBO. And so we for since January. We have had the two ADUs, the two cottages, and the camper listed pretty pretty consistently. So Stephen, I'm gonna pause there really quickly. Do you have you had any questions come in yet about purchase price or remodel before I get into the ST? Lauren,
1: I'm wondering what the I'm wondering what your market value is now. So you bought it for 285, I heard. You put 250 in. What were you sitting in then and then you did a cash out, but what were you sitting at for market value at the end that let you pull
0: out out that hundred and fifty thousand cash? So we were we bought it for two eighty-five. We were at four twenty after the after we put 150 in, we were at 420. So it was like pretty close to exactly what we had into it. Um, since then. So that was in January. So it's been like almost a year now. It's gone up significantly more in value. I mean, houses that are like much smaller and not as nice are going for around 500. So we estimate it's in the the low to mid fives now, which, you know, is what gives us the $215,000 of equity, even after they cash out refi.
1: Excellent. Love it. And, and what are you able to rent each of the units for? And what does your vacancy look like? What's the turnover process What's the
0: labor process? Mm-hmm. For yeah, that's definitely the trickiest part of having STRs. So it's a little bit difficult to answer exactly what revenue is going to be going forward. We were priced pretty low at first. First of all, because we launched in January and that is season. So season was like already kind of in full swing when we started. So we were we were priced a little bit lower at first to get a lot of, you know, a lot of reviews and things like that. And we do, we're super hosts. Ooh. We price the cottage, it's about $100 a night. The, the larger one, the one with the full kitchen, the smaller one is like $75.80. We just recently instituted um, something called Price Labs, which does dynamic pricing more like a hotel would. So they know when, um, when to price things higher. So, for example, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, pretty much, we're going to be making a lot more money than we were this year. So, all in all, my projections are about $65,000 in revenue for 2022. And that'll be $33,000 for the larger cottage, the one that has a full kitchen, $27,000 for the efficiency, and only $5,000 for the camper. The camper is really just to pay for itself. we just, I wanted to have a camper and we already had the hookups um, for the sewer and the electrical from the dilapidated mobile home that we removed. So it was basically like a plug and play situation with the camper.
1: And on that 65,000, what are your operating costs?
0: So on my operating costs, I include everything for this property. So that would include everything that we pay for this house as well. Pretty much, um, you know, for simplicity's sake, that's not exactly how the tax filings look. But from my perspective, the expenses include cleaning. So the way that, you know, the accounting really works, cleaning goes into the revenue. It's basically a pass through. I make like five dollars a clean, but not really because, you know, people damage the washcloth every single time or something. (laughs) So that includes, you know, so for cleaning, cleaning. Our state licenses, the software I mentioned, like Price Labs, we also use Owner Res and Remote Lock, um, different supplies, um, you know, you know, like the, uh, the soaps and coffee, you know, paper towels, toilet paper, all of those types of things. Utilities, all of the utilities for this property. Um, this house was built in 1901, so it's 120 this year, and so it's not the most, it, it's leaky, I'll just say that, so... Um, that includes utilities, maintenance, the lawn care. We did a total, this beautiful lawn remodel last year. It's incredible, but it's not cheap. Um, even though we have no grass, you would think it was cheap, but it's not. We have the jacuzzi, the exterminator, property taxes and interest. So if you put all of that together, it's about $55,000. So there's only about like a $10,000 difference. And then that would basically go to principal paydown. So all in all, um, we'd make a lot of money if we rented our main house out, it actually was a bed and breakfast when we bought it. Um, so it was booked often, but like the, the uh, former owner was actually like cooking and cleaning and turning rooms every day. Whereas we live in that part of the property. So if we moved out, we'd make some pretty good money. But right now we basically are at the point where we just live for free. All of, all of our living expenses are pretty much paid for and including our principal on the on the mortgage, even with the, uh, with the higher mortgage. Yeah.
1: And even on top of that, an extra roughly $10,000 of principal pay down a year. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So despite what uh, we would, we would advise in the real estate community, you're paying your mortgage down early. Oh yeah.
0: No, I wouldn't do that. Nope. That's not for me. Well, I, you know, the point, this was my thinking, right? So we were paying $25,000 for our mortgage in our last house. And I was thinking, okay, like that's, that's cool and all, but, Even if I pay off this house, there's still taxes and insurance, right? So the only way to kind of get everything covered was to house hack.
1: That's an excellent strategy. Are there any questions, Stephen, coming in on the house hack?
3: Uh, No, I haven't had any uh, DMs come in. Um, So guys, if you have any questions, or uh, just DM them to me and, and we'll put them forward. Or you can also request for the microphone too
1: okay lauren was there anything else you wanted to add or should we get tom to go into
0: his situation take it away tom all right tom you're up
2: okay guys i want to walk you through a 2019 deal that i purchased in toledo ohio and unlike lauren this is not str this is a all all four units on this building that i purchased in 2019 are rented to long-term renters this was still a buyer's market in march of 2019 and we had this uh four unit super good bones but super ugly building come up uh for eighty five thousand. it sat and i kept asking my partners about it and kept asking my partners about it and it got decreased to 75 after 30 days and they finally agreed to go look at it. Again, it had really good bones. And we threw in a low ball offer of 65. And they declined and they said 70. And we said no, because um, we weren't crazy about it. And we knew that right off the bat, we're going to have to spend, they had two units out of the four rented they were $400 each and we knew that we had to do you know $20,000 worth of work off the bat so we just didn't want to go to 70 even though it made sense when you ran the numbers and after about a week the realtor came back and said are you guys still in at 65 and we said hell yes we're in at 65 so we went under contract at 65 inspection went pretty well um everyone came back with the same comments that we had which is it's good bones it's just dated and not cared for so we left the two guys in there paying 400 each which is the duplex and then the um retail space was pizza shop and then the apartment Above the um, pizza shop was a two-bedroom, but it was like rickety, paneling, falling off the walls, like no one would want to live there ever. So we focused on those. We let the guys live in the... Um, in the duplex and pay our tax and insurance for us. And we didn't mess with them. They didn't mess with us. And we went to town and we spent through 2019 into 2020, we spent a total of $32,000 on all four units. Put a new roof on, we put new furnaces in. we, We made them look updated. I just retweeted, so if you guys follow me or wanna follow me or wanna see what I'm talking about, I just retweeted the pictures of the building. The retail space is the picture that's on my profile we got the retail in toledo ohio does not rent like retail everywhere else which i learned after i spent ten thousand dollars fixing the unit but that's my lowest uh rent on that space and that one uh we just did a lease renewal at 565. uh we did the upstairs which is a two bedroom at 795 now and then when we redid the duplex behind it um and gave them facelifts uh we rent those both uh, six sixty-five, six eighty-five. So in total, in 2020, um, we collected thirty-one thousand dollars in rents, and um, our profit from that was about eighteen thousand uh, dollars after our tax, our insurance, our our cleanouts, our our um, utilities. We pay the water. Um, so I profited eighteen thousand dollars off of that last year. The building we had it uh, originally appraised at 125 right after we finished the first renovation, um, and then this year we just had an appraisal come back on this building at 220 now. Um, since all four units are done, all four units are rented, um, and that's a huge home run. That's actually how I'm buying my next duplex, which is under contract at 66,000. Is I am taking the cash back out of this place and purchasing the next one and then that gives me an upper hand when i go for this next one to buy it in cash because i because i'm coming with cash and uh this one that i have under contract was listed at eighty two thousand, and it needs some work but it's again i look for those good bones uh this this building that i'm talking about right now was built in 1970 it's a brick building it's in a good spot it doesn't have a lot of parking so that makes it unattractive to retailers but we uh we have four paying tenants in it right now. I'm taking cash out and I'm buying this, uh, uh, $66,000 duplex. And I do have, um, funds. Like what I do with my real estate money is I'm just constantly putting it back into more real estate. Everything that I collect on all my real estate for the past, um, 18 years is just going right back into real estate. I just am constantly reinvesting it. I, I, have a nine to five job. I have a side hustle. I will sit and, I mean, my side hustle has literally bought me condos in Dallas before, just from pe- peeling clearance stickers off of bras and selling them. And that's kind of how I found I'm more conservative. I don't like to take out mega loans. Uh, and that's why, you know, when we bought this building, we went in it with cash from another sale of another house. And that's how we, we picked this one up. So I,
1: I do want to throw a question at you because because I, I think what I, what I love for the listeners to pick up on is themes and commonalities across each of us. And one of the observations I've seen from the first two, and I'm pretty sure we're going to hear from uh, at least CJ on his, and, and I know you'll hear from mine, is I took the cash out. And so I know you don't like to go in with the high debt levels, but once you refurbish, you you reposition. And for people that haven't seen Tom's pictures, he does amazingly high class finishings that look phenomenal at prices that I cannot understand And he and CJ both use uh, navy blue on walls and brick, and it looks phenomenal. Uh, I picked up on that. But, Tom, where I'm going is the debt. So how did you take that cash out? Put cash on your next position. Did Did you refinance the mortgage? Did you put a home equity line of credit on the property? What was your play there?
2: So we did not have a mortgage when we bought it. And for the initial repairs, my, um, partners and I both invested, we had enough cash from a prior sale and we both, uh, put in $18,000 of our own money to get it there. So we did everything out of pocket up until when we got our first mortgage on it. Uh, we did a cash out at that time to pay ourselves back. And this is in, um, uh, 20 started in 2019, but, uh, by the beginning of 2020 is when we actually cashed that out uh this year we had the last um tenant we kept raising the rent on the 400 dollar units and that tenant moved out so we finished fixing up every unit we finished putting in new furnaces we finished putting in the hot water heaters and then we went back to the bank and we're like these are what they're selling for this place is 4200 square feet will you do a a cash out will you do a equity line and guys just so you guys understand for me i'm going to credit unions for this type of thing this is owned in my llc business name Um, i'm not getting any kind of traditional loans anymore um, because if i go they just laugh at me because i have 47 million different properties and they're like we don't want to even talk to you you have too many properties so i went to a local credit union and I'm like this is what I have what can you do for me and having formed that relationship with this um credit union they're a pain in the ass cuz I have to mail them a check but I have awesome cash and in, in my hands ready to buy the next property and the next property and the next property so I'll mail them a check um that was my strategy with this one and and that's where the the money for the one that we're about to close on this month is coming from is cuz I took it back out of this one love that
1: and is this your first one that has a retail component? If not, what what have you found different on this one? If so, would you do retail again, or do you not enjoy retail?
2: So I would do. I I was just looking at a full fully leased shopping complex. It was around um, 1.1 million, but it has uh, AutoZone, a um, uh, Sally's Beauty, like a lot of good anchor stores in it. And when I ran the numbers, it wasn't a hundred percent making sense at that price. So it was a deal that I walked on, but yes, I would do retail again, but I would do full retail or full, like, a. uh, I've been aggressively bidding on like nine unit apartment buildings. So I, I don't know that I, uh, in this, in, in that market in Toledo, Ohio retail just does not have the, you know, retail space and in, in Dallas, Texas is like night and day and when i started this and i put a ton of money into the retail space i didn't know what i was getting until i did it and then i'm like oh okay this doesn't really make sense to spend ten thousand dollars here but it also you know when we leased it it drew everyone away from all the other retail in the area even though it wasn't the right square footage for a lot of people and they're like this space is so nice we want this so we had a good show of people wanting it just because we had put that kind of money in. We had put the new furnace in and, and the Insta Hot water, water heater. And, I mean, it just kind of made it stand out amongst all the other retail. So, yes, I would definitely do retail again. It just – I haven't found the right retail deal right now. I love
1: it, Tom. And, Steve, do we have any questions coming in for Tom in the DMs? Uh,
3: no, we don't. Uh, but I, I do wonder – so, Tom, kind of um, – How much, how many deals or offers do you look at? Like what's kind of your, you know, every 10 that you look at, you make a bid on one and every
2: like kind of what's your, I mean, I skip over rate or I I've been aggressively looking uh, since August and my realtor in Ohio put in four offers, my realtor in Dallas put in two offers and finally we just kind of said F it. I was, I, I, posted this on my i had started this conversation back in august with a, a neighbor of mine and we started talking about this italian restaurant because she saw that i was getting a delivery and this is a duplex that i'm working on this duplex that i'm working on in ohio um, is one of my 14 door or there are two of my 14 doors and it will finish next month but i was talking with her about this italian food and anyways she just messaged me out of the blue Uh, at the end of September, like two months after the fact, um, because I had gave her the number, and I'm like, you know, if you see anyone messing with my house, just text me, message me. Uh, So we swapped numbers. I I always pass out business cards, even when I'm going to look at places like, hey, if you know anyone looking, I I throw my card in the hand. Um, And she just messaged me. She's like, do you still want this place? I'm like, "Uh, yeah. And we went over, and it was a, a similar thing. It was good bones. It's got some little deferred maintenance, but it's stuff that, it, you know, I can sand down floors and refinish them. I, it, it's all that kind of little stuff. It's, she's got, she pulled out receipts for me and she just put like a $21,000 roof on it. She just put siding on it. So it has those, those good bones. And she's like, I'm moving to Florida and I don't want this anymore. So please take it off my hands. And I'm like, let me give you money now and go to Florida. She's going to stay in Lauren's places.
0: Come on down. Everybody's coming to Florida. <laughs>
2: the
4: reverse
0: of
1: sales, where you have always been selling with real estate, you have always been buying. Tom, I love that strategy. Steve, why don't you dive into your flip and take people through the numbers?
3: Yeah, no, it sounds good. For those who want to like, kind of watch along as I step through this, I, uh, I put out a tweet yesterday about the deal that I did. It's on my profile and I've pinned it. Uh, so it's easy to kind of, to see there. And that's the house that we, that we flipped. Uh, it's funny. So Clint, you mentioned the emphasis on debt and the entire project that we ran on this was a hundred percent financed through debt. We didn't sell any assets uh, to uh to execute and carry out uh, this project here. So, to your point of um, you know using an asset, borrowing against it, and putting it into another project. That's exactly what we did here. We secured the loan or a HELOC against a million dollar property, and then also too on Tom's point of uh, of good bones, he emphasized that over uh, a few times there. This project the reason why we were able to get it at such a steal, um was because it actually had bad bones uh, and it was part of the challenges that we had, but because of the bad bones, we got a terrific deal on the purchase price. We had to fix the bones and then we're able to sell it for additional uh, profit on that. So I, um, my family that I'm uh, married into uh, loves real estate. Uh, my father-in-law loves it he has multiple uh rental units properties in phoenix uh, properties here in alberta that i live in and he's always open and looking for deals my brother-in-law is also a real estate agent and he's always i mean he's that's his job right he's always looking for for new deals or help his clients buy and sell so he came across this house that you see there in the pictures uh it's nineteen ten, I believe. If was not nineteen ten, it might be nineteen thirteen. It was difficult to determine precisely what year it was, but it's super old. You walk they were asking three three twenty. It started at three eighty, it got down to three twenty, and you're like, you know, why and it was on the market for a long time, why isn't it selling? You walked into this place and you knew right away because the floors were slanted. It was built in 1910, and then they had added two additions, one on the back, one on the front. And what had happened is over time, these had sunk. And so when you walk in, you are like feel this kind of slight slant as you walked into the house. You're like, oh, the, and the and the floor was soft. And so it didn't take long, and you're like, yeah, this is this is not a good not a good deal. And in my mind, I didn't think this was going to be a good project. I did not want to do it. I didn't. Think it was a good idea. One, it's super old. Two, slanted floors. I'm out. My father-in-law was like, "Oh, come on. Maybe we could fix this." And so, a lot of the back and forth between my father-in-law and my brother-in-law was, "What can we do to fix the floors? Do you know any trades? Do you know anyone who can fix this problem?" And he, my the real estate agent brother-in-law, he was like, "Yes, we can fix this. Don't worry about this." Um, if we can get a really good deal on it, I think we can make this work. And so they went back and forth. What's the price? And they came in with an offer of 280. 50 grand below what the offer or what the asking price was. The or oh, sorry, 40 grand below. The uh seller said, no way, I'm not taking 280. And so we countered with 282 no conditions, no inspection, no finance. Like it's, you say yes, this is done. And the guy took it. He wanted to get the property off his hands. So we immediately got to work. This was January of this year, January 29th, when we took possession of it. Uh, We got to work right away. And we had um, kind of a tale of two stories on it. We said, it's probably gonna take us two to three months to fix and finish and get it listed. And then it's probably going to cost us twenty to thirty grand to get it all fixed. And we had actually budgeted twenty grand to fix the floor. The trade came in, and he was actually a framer, and he was able to fix the floors perfectly by laying down uh, two by fours on in a particular position and and manner that made the floor perfect. And then we just put uh, OSB plywood on top of it and then put uh, laminate vinyl flooring on top. And it turned out perfect. And so not counting for the, the flooring that we put on top, but the framing cost us only, it only cost us two grand to fix it. And it, that took us no time at all. But what we were blind to was the drywall. That guy took forever to do all the drywall that we needed fixing in the house. And that came in well over budget, well over time. And then that put us into the COVID shortage on a lot of the supplies for like lumber and cabinets and um, flooring and just random things that we had to buy for the house, like closet, closets and stuff. Because we wanted to do a full, full reno on the home. And it, to keep the story a little on the, on the shorter side here, it ended up costing us 67 grand. So double the budget, more than double the budget. And it took us six months to finish the renovation. And what did you sell it for, Stephen? So yeah. <laughs> so you're in it so, for
1: three
3: forty nine. Yeah. So we ended up selling it for four seventy eight five. So we did have some problems trying to sell it. Like Lauren, uh, when you and I connected for the first time on the podcast, it was I had, we had just listed it, and so it took from that time that you and I did that podcast back in that would have been July until now to sell it and take possession or give possession, I guess you would say. So yeah, we sold it for four seventy eight. We had two offers fall through on it. One for four ninety it fell through. One for four seventy five that fell through. But uh, the one for four seventy eight finally connected and it went through. And Steve, so, what was
1: your what was your your cash in hand after closing costs, commissions, etc?
3: After everything, eighty seven.
1: After so, you paid all your legals, paid your commission, Everything. deduct the cost of the build. You made eighty-seven thousand on a two hundred eighty-two thousand dollar acquisition, yep. and of course sixty-seven in costs. How did you feel on that return?
3: Um, you know that's a really good question. Um, of course, kind of the initial take is great. That's fantastic uh, money to invest. Uh, my my wife has some ideas of how she wants to spend it. That's okay. Like, but at the same time, I think what's important to emphasize too on this in our experience is that this really cost me in ways that, um, like, it yeah, really strained. how
1: much strained. time did you put into
3: it? Yeah, so because it was January to July, and it was every night and every weekend. So July, that includes like, you know, obviously June and July, but like that, you know, those, those are summer months. Kids want to get out there and do stuff. They want to go camping. They want to do fun things. And dad's at this house during this work. So the numbers are fantastic. Uh, no complaints there. Terrific opportunity and a great investment. Um, but it really, it strained relationships in, in my family and also with my in-laws as well too, right? Like, now, part of the reason too why the numbers were so good was because we did almost all the work. That's right. So we did everything but the drywall and that framing, and then we let we did hire a tiler to come in and do some tiling. But so other you're than not that, we did we did like, sweat
1: equity in your number. No, I'm so not. If You put no. a value to your time, your father-in-law's time, your brother-in-law's time, and anyone else who was involved, would you would you say you made money or would you say you basically broke even? Oh,
3: I don't know. That's the homework cuz it cost Steven. me it cost me 300 hours. Oh To my do God. this. Yeah. Huh. Right, so it gets um it's it's tough like so so let, let me let me put it this way. So, uh this is the second house that we flipped. The sec- the first one went much smoother. We made 54,000 on that one. And when we were done that, we were already talking about doing the next deal. This one has finished, and nobody's talking about doing another deal. And even no, even
1: with an extra forty thousand dollars in your jeans.
3: Yeah, yeah, because it was too. It was really stressful on, on our relationships, and and of course, I mean, like family relationships, and they're more important than this, right? Because of course, you know, we don't need to get into that. It's not why we're here tonight, but. Um, uh, it really put a, put some strain on us and stuff. So it was a great investment. We loved it. It was awesome from that point of view. Um, but, you know, and also, too, the market's really frothy. So there's not this real motivation to try and go looking for a hot deal because it is such a seller's market that you'd, it's so difficult to try and to find anything right now. So we're a little... You know, we want to lick our wounds a little bit, have some time off from doing this. And, but they'll always, you know, when an opportunity comes up, we'll jump on it. Like, you know, you get that carrot dangling in front of you,
1: you jump on it. Yeah, yeah gotcha. Steve, i Oh, sorry, go learn.
0: Oh, what I was going to say is like, so I, I just, I feel you so deeply because of the like early 1900s home. And we paid $26,000. To raise our house two inches and add like a couple of beams and some new footers. So I can't believe he fixed a slant for for $2,000, but that's neither here nor there. I was just going to say though, also some deals are hits and some deals are misses and some deals are bigger hits than others. Certainly for us, when we bought, when we did the cash out refi this year and we bought this other duplex, it was super smooth in the sense that like we called our landscapers up from the Tarpon Springs house. We called the same flooring guy. We had that stuff done in like a couple of weeks within we within when we closed and it was just super smooth. So sometimes I think it's like once you do things a couple of times, like breaking even is even like a little bit. Okay. I think as long as you're like learning and growing and it really, I think it's almost like if you don't do it again, you won't benefit from those lessons that you learned the last time that you did it.
3: Yeah. And and, and that was a really, yeah, that's a super good point, Lauren. And in the few times that I've spoken with Tom as well too, it, you, you build that, I think like that team of trades, right. And so you establish those relationships, you, um, you know what their rates are, what they were last time, and you know, the quality of work that they're doing. And you want to, you want to leverage that, knowledge and that experience and in, into another deal and in, into another, um, another opportunity. Yeah. So that's a, that's a terrific point.
1: I think um, you will get back in there. You just need a, a little bit of a rest to recover. Uh, I'm going to pass it over to CJ just so we can keep the ball moving and
4: get through in time. Um, hey everyone. I'm going to talk to you guys about the first property that my wife and I bought, um, which was a house hack. And it's similar to Lauren's story. Um, two years ago, I didn't know anything about real estate. Um, I was cut from the NFL. Uh, I just got married and, um, this was in 2019, November, 2019. So almost two years ago. Um, so I found a mentor. I didn't know anything about real estate and he told me to get rid of my biggest expense, which is rent, just like Lauren said. Um, so that's exactly what we did. We bought a duplex. We lived on one side and we rented out the other side. Um, and while we as soon as we moved into place, um, we got rid of our tenants, so their lease was coming up and we went in on the other side and we renovated it. Um, we put $10,000 into renovations and just like Clint said, we put a lot of sweat equity in so we didn't have to pay you know that much for um, the labor. How we found the place was in Minneapolis. Um, this was a suburb of Minneapolis and it's right on the cusp of a great neighborhood. In real estate, I'm learning that location is very important. And the biggest thing when it comes to location for me is making sure my wife is safe. So I just wanted to make sure my wife is safe. If, if I wasn't home, she was gonna feel safe there, um, especially with tenants next door. Um, so that's how we found our location. Um, and we put an offer on this, we found this place on the MLS, um, which is the multiple listing service. And we put an offer on it before we actually even seen the place because the location was so good. The offer got accepted the next day after we actually saw the place and the owner was in a rush to sell because he was doing a 1031 exchange on a lake home, I believe. So yeah, um, I'm going to get into some of the numbers. We bought the place for $405,000 and we took out an owner occupied loan. So we only had to put $5,000 down. This strategy is very uh, beginner beginner friendly. Um, so we put five, uh, sorry, I'm getting a little jumbled around. Um, so we bought the place for $405,000 our down payment was 5%, which is $20,000. And our closing cost was $5,000. We got the seller to pay most of our closing costs, um, which was huge for us. And then we put $10,000 into renovations on both sides. The good thing about house hacking is we got to, um, while the other side, we rented out the other side, we got to work on our side while we lived there. So we lived there for a year and I got to take it slow. I didn't know anything about real estate. I'll remind you again. So, I was learning how to you know install countertops. I was learning how to paint um and do all this other handyman type stuff around the house so after all of that, um we got the rents up and we raised them and our one side was rented out for two thousand one hundred and fifty dollars, and our mortgage was twenty five hundred dollars so we were paying about four hundred dollars a month in rent. That was until we rented out our basement to a friend um, and he paid $500. So this covered our whole, our whole mortgage. And we're now living rent free. And this was huge for us. So fast forward a year, we had moved out of our duplex and we rented out the whole thing. And we now receive um, $3,900 in monthly rental income and our mortgage is only $2,500. So um, after expenses, after utilities, um, trash and sewer um, and water and maintenance, which is about $400 a month, we cash flow $1,000 a month from this property. And this is our first property. Um, I know Clint, you mentioned that, um, like pulling out uh, equity from your house. Um, My wife and I, we're self-employed right now and that's a challenge that we're faced with is trying to tap the equity in our house. The value of our duplex is $510,000 and we have $127,000 in equity in the property. Um, But we can't tap the equity because my wife and I are both self-employed. And the lenders that we've talked to so far want to see two years of tax returns. um, That includes our self-employment income. So that's the challenge that we face with that. But that didn't stop us from purchasing our second property. Um, So while we're living in our duplex, while we're living rent-free, my wife and I, we saved up um, as much of our income as we could. um, And we purchased a triplex. Um, And we did the same thing. We lived there for one year um, and we rented out the other two units. One of the units is rented out to a long-term tenant and we turned the third unit into a short-term rental um, similar to Lauren. We paid $545,000 for that place. We put 10% down, which is $54,000. And on this property, we had the seller pay all of the closing costs. Um, If you guys have questions about like how I got the seller to pay the closing costs, just let me know and I can go over that we put uh, $15,000 in renovations and our mortgage was $2,500 again because of the low interest rates. Um, All in all, we collect, let me do the math real quick. Sorry, I didn't do the math on my Google Sheets. 95 plus. So all in all, we collect uh, $5,795 in uh, monthly rental income. And after our mortgage, we cash flow around uh, twenty nine hundred dollars from that that triplex that we have. The value uh, of, of that triplex is six hundred thirty three thousand dollars, and the equity that we have in the property is one hundred sixty two thousand dollars. Um, so right now, my wife, we're just in a tough situation because we can't tap the equity, but we do have equity in our in both of our properties. Um, we are at a point in our real estate journey where we're ready to start scaling but we have to figure out how we're going to tap this equity <laughs> um so yeah that's my story um right now we're cash flowing about four thousand um, dollars and yeah so right. yeah
1: that's where i got to on the math CJ. so roughly every year if you if you pocket that four thousand and you're able to save some of the money from your self-employment like you did when you were just a duplex, are you able to pick up one more unit, one more triplex or, or one more project per year together?
4: Yeah. Um, so we built a track record. Um, so we're going in on a short term rental with my wife's parents. Uh, where they got approved already and everything like that. So we're looking for one right now and that should add about $1,500 um, in cash flow each For my wife's parents and and us. And on top of that, too, is we are looking for uh, another house hack. We feel like house hacking is such a good way to leverage the low down payment options and create, you know, a couple thousand dollars in cash flow. And so once your two years are up, and you're able to prove the
1: employment income or or not employment income because you're self-employed, but a a track record of income and you're able to access the equity in your past deals, how much do you intend to pull out and how many new doors do you intend to buy with it?
4: Oh man, that's a great question. Um, We're thinking about going commercial. Um, If we can pull out $100,000 in equity, that would be great for us because we could look for apartment buildings, um, five plus units. So we're looking to, you know, if we can do this maybe in a year or two, we're looking at purchasing, you know, a a building that's a million dollars, maybe partnering with somebody and we put a hundred thousand dollars down and our partner puts a hundred thousand dollars down and, you know, we go from there. I love that. CJ. Anyone else on the team
1: have questions for CJ on that? Uh, house hack and how he's building out his portfolio, which I'm a big fan of.
0: I was just curious, CJ, you said you're a realtor. Are you a realtor for a lot of investors? And if so, does your track record of investing lead to your credibility?
4: I'm not uh, a realtor um, for investors. I'm usually dealing with first time home buyers and I'm always trying to push them into the, uh, the house hack category, which doesn't always work.
0: Yeah, it takes a while to get that. I think I was just—I was just curious. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I could work with first-time homebuyers anymore. I'd be like, but the <laughs> numbers?" <laughs> yeah, I know. I sometimes I just gotta be quiet
4: and let them, you know, make their own decisions.
1: Excellent, CJ. Uh, what I'm gonna do now, I'll, I'll share my story and then I'll pass it over to steve and steve uh if if we've got capacity you can open it up to people for i a i'm gonna go inside and tie some skates and coach some uh 10 year olds in a hockey game the so where my story will start is if we rewind about four or five years ago one of the things that i write a lot about is coming up with an investment thesis putting conviction into it and then taking action and so I work for a real estate developer and it's interesting that a couple of our shareholders will actually tell you, no one actually asks them questions about what real estate you should buy. Uh, whereas I, that's what I always tend to ask experts is, hey, how do I become wealthy like you are? How do I do what you've done? Because I just want to copy people. It's, it's much easier than thinking for myself. I like to think it's because I'm a pretty lazy human being. And one of the things that jumped out at me that I kept hearing in land acquisition meetings is I live in Vancouver. And for those who don't know, Vancouver is pretty landlocked. We have mountains on one side, we have oceans on another side, and then we have the U S border. So there's not much room like other cities where you can just expand outwards. And so what that means is constant densification and our head of acquisitions would always point out that if you rewinded 30 years ago, there was a multitude of single-family home builders. And now there's only one or two in all of the lower mainland. His point was that the next one that was doing going to do that was townhouses. So we used to build single-family homes. Now the biggest units we're building are townhouses. Otherwise, we're going to apartments or high rise. And his theory was over the next 10 years, townhouse land would start to disappear and we would only be building apartments and high rise in the city area. And so the thesis that I started to put together was. Instead of buying apartments in the city, which is what I had been doing, I should be buying townhouses out in the suburbs. And the other thing that did it for me was I had a very bad experience we shared last week with my tenants in my very first unit, stealing my washer and dryer. And so I said, I don't want these small units. I want big units, family, kids, pride of ownership. And so I moved, I made the decision to acquire in the Valley. And at that same time in 2018, 2019, we had a downturn in our real estate market. Everyone thought things were dying. People stopped buying. And we've talked about it on the podcast before. The time to buy is when the blood's running in the street. So to take advantage of the fear that people have and capitalize on their unwillingness to buy. And so what I was able to do was put deposits down. Well, actually, uh, because I was acquiring through work, I didn't actually have to put any cash down. I was able to pre-purchase four townhomes. And that was in 2018 and 2019 at an average cost for the four of them of around 500000 each. So I, I had under contract that I was gonna, going to close on $2 million of real estate. When I underwrote it, I was going to rent them out for $2,100 a month. And that would have meant roughly a 10-year IRR of about 15% if i fast forward i closed on the first two last november and we were able to rent them for an average of 2450 one of the tenants has since left we've re-rented that for 2600 and those two homes would likely trade right now a comparable unit in the complex traded for 780 a couple months ago. So if, if I'm throwing out a number, I would say we would trade those two for 800. And it's likely the same on the next two. The best part of the next two is I don't close on them until April of next year. So they're sitting right now at a market value of approximately 800,000 in April, I'll close on them, and I'm closing on them at my acquisition cost of five hundred thousand and I put zero cash in. People up here don't let us close no cash; they make us put our twenty percent so i I still have to come up with two hundred thousand dollars between now and april and and we're we're in the process of applying for three home equity line of lines of credit on various properties we own. Uh, because cash flow is reasonably tight. Uh, I'm glad my wife's in the arena now because I'll, I'll share, she said that we have to take a break because she's the one who applies for the lines of credit and it's a lot of work and she's, she's just stressed at trying to cash flow all the real estate that I just keep buying for us. Um, but we are, I am in the spring going to uh, contract for two more two more homes on a, on a pre-sale apartment project we're doing. So highlight of that was four units, 500 acquisition costs on average market value for the four of them would be uh, 800 each right now. So our win on that was $1.2 million will affect, will be negative equity on all of them. And, The reason I'm closing on two in April is that townhouse play, when you have a thesis and it works and it does what you wanted, you have to be willing to change it. It, Everyone with COVID moved out to the Valley. They moved to bigger spaces and the prices went up 40%. And so I look at it now and say, it doesn't have much room to run. So I'm going to switch back to apartment buildings because over that same time period, apartments stayed flat. So when you look at metrics and you say, where are apartments relative to townhomes, relative to single family homes, because each one of those sets the upward bar for the last one. So your townhomes can only trade so high before someone's going to switch into single family homes. Your apartments can only trade so high before someone's going to flip into a townhouse. So my theory now, townhomes are played out, have to switch back to apartments, If I were to not go with my own company, I would be going right downtown because everybody moved out of downtown during COVID and they all think, oh, none of us are returning to the office. I believe within two, three years, we'll mostly 80% be back in the office. Downtown will come back alive and that is where the big money will be made. So have a thesis, get convicted, act on it and be willing to change your thesis to something new. Uh, That's my. Any questions?
3: Oh, well, that's awesome, Clint. Um, it, it I admire you that you know you have this you have this thesis, or you know, and you have this conviction behind it, and you're uh, willing and able to act so strongly and go into it and stuff. Um, I admire that with you on it because uh, you know I, I I have kind of the same, but I don't. I lack that. Uh, hey, I'm gonna go as hard as I can into it you know what I mean I I have a little bit of hesitation or I look back over my shoulder a little bit as I go forward into it so I admire your willingness to to go forward into it
1: I've always called it Steve you have to be smart enough to have a thesis dumb enough to pull the trigger You you (laughs) you have to have that right combo
0: it is so true like I think every deal that I've done there's been like a moment of Oh, why did no one else buy this for this price? Right. And you have like this moment of hesitation that you just have to move forward and stick to your convictions and trust yourself and trust your gut and know that it's it's gonna work out or it's not, but it probably is gonna work out just fine. And Clint, your story is so interesting to me sitting in my nineteen oh one home about all these new builds, <laughs> right? Because I live I live in Pinellas County and Pinellas County is Water locked on three sides. It's a it's a peninsula, so we can't go really out anymore. We can only really go up. So this idea of like going under contract for things that are not built yet, and then they just go up in value by the time you close is just absolutely fascinating to me, and I love it.
1: Yeah, and Lauren, that's partially because buying in twenty eighteen or June twenty nineteen, and not closing till April twenty twenty one. And I, I think I sent the stat in, in our DM channel to the group. Just from last October to this October, so a one year period, that specific area in the valley that we bought, townhomes are up 30% year over year. And so it was, and we'd, we'd put it under contract a year and a half before that. So it, it was really just the, I, I would call it the COVID inflation of people wanting bigger spaces because each of those townhouses we bought was the biggest townhouse in that complex so one of them was a three-bedroom and den and one of them was a two-bedroom and den.
3: so and maybe this plays into your your switch to go back uh, and change the thesis but do you see anything happening now with COVID unwinding or changing or do you think about, hey, what if things go back to normal? How will that impact my real estate portfolio? Do you think about that at all? Or
1: I, I do. You, I, do like... I do. I don't think it'll go down, Steve, for a few reasons. One, it tends to be that once prices get set, there's very little backwards movement in our city. What will happen is you might have a flat period for a period of time. You might have a bit of a fallback if interest rates go up. But relative to the prices today that we're penciling when I'm at work and we're preparing a pro forma for a site we're going to acquire are higher than the prices I'm talking about. So there's actually a little bit of upside to that number. The, the other factor is that key thing that our land acquisition VP said, there is not much supply of that product type. So there okay, so, not a lot of townhouses coming online that would drag the value down.
3: So I got a, okay. So your market, Vancouver, Canada, and the Toronto market scare me. Um, from, and I, I got to ask you the hard. The, I'm sorry, man. I got to ask you the fire hard wind, question. Just, wind, it sounds yeah. it sounds like a it sounds like a bubble just blowing up, like
2: yeah, not yeah.
3: like inflating. And um, yeah. and you're full full credit to you, man. You're a smart guy. So I'm just wondering yeah. from from your point of view. I know you've thought about that. How do you evaluate that? The, the I mean, you, you you hear it in the news too, right? Like The Canadian news network will be like, oh, the the two inflated markets, Toronto and Vancouver, here they go, you know, like, so I'm just curious and I'm sure some other listeners that you're kind of wondering too, like, as yeah. it sounds like something to to, you know. Uh,
1: I have to evaluate it because that's my day job. Number one role as a CFO of a real estate development company is I have to make sure the lights never go off, right? So we maintain at work significant cash reserves we run a cash flow every month that looks out four years at least once a year we want, we run a downside scenario analysis to say what would happen if the prices drop by this if the banks made a call on land so i'm doing that at work and i do the same analysis roughly for our own portfolio i think i've shared before yes i have a lot of debt yes i have some of these HELOCs but all in, we're sitting at about 65% loan to value. So price ha- prices have to drop 40% before I'm underwater. And what you look at in a city like Vancouver, we talked about the landlocked, right, Steve? So one of the yep. issues that you run into is land to build on, right? There's not a lot of it. And it's owned by all the same by all the major players. So how much product gets brought on or built when the market's down, we just don't build. We don't buy new dirt. And hence the prices stay relatively flat with slight drops. So it might just be a long flat period, but my company will make money in a long flat period because we're, we're a very good developer. Uh, our product, and in, in, in I, I don't think I'm biased in saying that, we have some of the most beautiful product Real homes for real people, but very beautiful product in our city. And uh, that's commonly said. And then, so A, that's the product I'm buying. So if someone's choosing from a rental perspective, they're going to want to live in in that nicer product. And then the other part you have is we build in this city, on average, 25,000 homes per year, year in, year out, maximum on average over the last 10 years it's probably actually been 20,000 and our need for homes if you were actually going to want to lower the price given the net migration into this province every year from predominantly from mainland china uh, in migration from the other provinces people leaving alberta with the lower oil prices people coming out from east as you're aware of steve we probably need to build 30 to 35,000 homes to meet the demand that gets put on the city in other words okay. i think okay. prices will go up yeah no, i know
3: it, it's funny too when you're when you're mapping out your thesis and uh, i can see why you also have an affinity for other scarce oriented assets which we don't need to get into but i can kind of map it like oh yeah I, I can't i i see where you're going i see similarities and where you're going with things so how can i i've and I, I know i know you want to go tie the skates and but i want to know how does a normal family with a normal income afford to live in your city because so the, the mortgages to are kind of they're going to be spending like four grand a month on your mortgage
1: yeah, well, no. So what ends up happening is the, is a normal family doesn't tend to buy single family. They can't. Right. So they're renting they're renting the townhouse and, you know, they're moving further away from the core. So, for example, the people that are renting our townhouses, they're probably drive, you know, commuting 45 minutes each way into the city for their job. And they're paying, you know, 2600 a month in rent for a three-bedroom townhouse or a two-bedroom two and den townhouse. And so they tend to have to move further out and uh, further out from the core and uh, rent. So it's, it's moving in the direction of Europe with a high rental population.
3: Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, Sorry, buddy. So I'm going to
1: pass it over to you and uh, jump on inside. Thanks, everyone, for joining yep, us. No, thank you, Clint. I uh, really week. appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Clint. So we did, we Wait, did have Steven, a couple questions. I just, I just want to comment yep. on the the on the crypto guy asking a real estate guy about a bubble. It's pretty funny. <laughs>
3: <I> had to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, because I'm, I'm looking for some markers
3: <laughs> and see if he's got any kind of ideas of what he's looking for for... You know, because a lot of the times there's the similarities across, you know, bubbles and assets and and stuff like that for sure. Yeah, no, I I, I know where you're going with it. It's funny. Um, so we did have a question for CJ. Uh, it was from Carla. She asked, um, how do you uh, – sorry, I'm just loading it here. How can you view MLS listing without a realtor? Is it possible? Um,
4: so I don't think it's possible unless a realtor gives you access. Um, there's some really good, I mean, Zillow is like probably a day behind maybe on uh, listings. So I wouldn't count on looking on Zillow or like HomeSnap, but usually you need um, access from a realtor.
0: And as a buyer, there's not a lot of reason to not use a realtor, right? Like the, the sellers are paying the fees of the buying realtor generally.
4: Yep, correct. And there's so there's no
2: cost, so it really doesn't. And I mean, you don't have to exclusively work with one realtor. So you could, you know, just ask a local realtor, "Hey, can you send me these zip codes?" And uh, CJ, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they can usually just, you know, set you up for a certain zip code, and you get morning emails, and it's pretty accessible.
4: Yeah, Tom, uh, Tom, you're you're correct with
2: that,
3: Um, Tom. So in a lot of the uh, places that you Purchase, renovate, and
2: then flip or rent. You
3: do, a, how do you decide which areas of the home to focus on first for renovating and improving? Uh,
2: kitchen and bathroom. I mean, it's kind of the go to. Uh, a lot of them that I've done over the past two years, besides the kitchen and bathroom, uh, the value add. Um, I bought a, a place with a den, and I certainly went to Ikea and threw an Ikea closet in there and called it a second bedroom and um, got 200 extra dollars a month for it. Cause it had that second bedroom in there. So um, if I can do value add, I'll do that. But the uh, kitchen and bathrooms are huge. And I have a awesome tile guy. And I mean, I can just go buy clearance tile for days and just let him throw tile everywhere. And, people love tile backsplashes and people love fancy showers and people love wherever I can put tile, I'm going to put tile. And that's just kind of, I mean, that's been my success across the board. And I mean, I've bought some, I've bought and sold 22 properties, um, over the past. I, I bought my first duplex when I was 21, e- even there in my first duplex when I was 21, I was like doing peel and stick tile at that point on the floor, just cause I didn't want, shitty looking floors um and anywhere i can put my gay glitter i I go to town and i i other things besides tile that i love doing is light fixtures and it's just amazing like I'm, i'm looking at multi or i'm sorry i'm looking at new um primary residence this weekend and the lighting the ones that i'm looking at are like the ugly looking houses But the lighting is so bad in them that people don't even realize just by going in and throwing in some can lighting, how much more you can get in rent. And I mean, I had a a condo that I bought in 2013 and I spent $18 on these speaker light bulbs and they connect to your Bluetooth is all that they do. And that was like such a big selling feature in 2013 that people were like, I'll give you $50 over asking just to rent this place. Cause I like the speakers in the ceiling. And I'm like, I spent $18 just buying this speaker bulb. All I did was screw it into the ceiling and you guys are going to give me $50 every month. Cause it has a light bulb that I bought for $18 sign the paperwork. Let's do this. So I'm always looking at kitchens and baths, but I'm going to do, do, you know, what do people want? They want the Nest thermostat. I mean, most of my rentals have the Nest thermostat. They want the smart locks and and all the kind of upgrades and um, stuff that tenants can't destroy easily is always my favorite. So that's why I stick with Tile. But I I look at what's going to get me the most money back. It's so okay. So a question I have on that: um, when we've
3: done our two flips and renovations, we went with. Um, I mean, you've, you've seen the pictures that I've shared with you. I don't think I've sh- shown with you my first one, but uh, we're very monochromatic, gray, white. Um, so are you concerned with and, – because and, we're trying to just appeal to the general. We're just like, no, come down average. Don't try and do too much flair. You're going the other way though, right? Like you're trying to put a little bit of – your style and your flair and your personality into it. So has, has it ever, I'm just curious, has it ever backfired?
2: Um, I mean, I look at, I have a 2015 condo that I did in Dallas and I cringe when I look at the tile work now. Um, not because it's poor tile work, but just the tile choices. And then I was looking at a 2011 where I used a certain tile in the kitchen and I would never do that again in a million years because it's very uh, trendy. I, the most I like to go with trend is painted a fun color cause that can easily be changed. But, um, some of my early renovations and my early tile choices are don't withstand time. So I love subway tile, the, um, house I did this year and last year, both have subway tile and those are pretty timeless. Um, and I will do a fun color on cabinets or a, a, a fun, um, light fixture, but, um, I I've learned as I've gone through all these different properties, you don't want to do this, even though it's very popular, just because it's not going to stand up in ten years. Yeah,
3: it's a really good point. I think in in the, in the, the home that I live in, uh, when we um, did our selections and pick and everything, uh, we went with what was hot and trendy at the time, and we're we're paying for it now. Uh, I think we've been here coming up fifteen years. And my wife likes to remind me that we need to renovate and stuff, so there's kind of a long term cost sometimes when you don't get those. Um, we did have a quite another question for you, Tom. Um, did you start with traditional financing because a lot of your deals are just so incredible? Um, do you start with traditional financing and uh-huh.
2: how has that gone for you? 100% traditional financing. Um, I ha- I bought my first duplex in 2004, I was 21. I had no business buying a property. My down payment came from, um, I worked at the Gap and my dad uh, signed me up for Gap purchase stock. So as I was working at the Gap, I was buying stock um, every quarter at a discounted rate because I was an employee. And um, I cashed that in, used that $10,000 worth of stock that I accumulated through my time at Gap and bought a duplex. So I started traditional. Um, I had... Terrible rates in 2004 and 2005. I had no business buying properties again. Um, but this is why the financial crisis happened in 2008 um, and 2009. Yeah, I started traditional. And, and still, like, my primary residence that I live in right now, it's a traditional loan. But banks, like, cringe now uh, when I apply because I have to list off all these different properties in different states. And it's quite an ordeal to go traditional now. But I've had huge success in both texas and in ohio with credit unions and um the majority of these are in different llcs in different states so they are much more they can do a lot of stuff that the big banks can and that's kind of the direction that i'm always pointing people when i'm doing coaching is you know what you may pay you know a certain percent like right now i'm, I'm working on a uh a cash out and the interest rate is 3.5. And I've got someone on Twitter yelling at me that they're getting 2.9. You know what? This credit union is super good to me. And it's giving me access to more money to buy more property. And if it's 3.5 or 2.75 or 2.99, I'm good with that because I've got access to, you know, X amount of money to buy the next property. And um, I, I'm not here to, I get it. Uh, It's, it's a higher risk for them. Um, so I'm happy to get the loans. So I started traditional, uh, but as I scaled up and as I, and, um, Lauren and I talked about this on our podcast in 2010, 2011, 2012, all the way up through 17, I was buying at least one or two condos every year. And I've traded a lot of those up. Um, I had to go to untraditional, um, lending because I just had so many properties at that time. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I hear
3: you, Tom, it did, um, I get into those a little bit with my, I have four brothers-in-law and we'll talk about who's got the lower rate kind of crap. And it's like, yeah, not always the most important thing. The most important thing is probably that deal or what you're going to do with that money.
0: Well, and we're spoiling Um, now too. Like, I think we sometimes lose track of the fact that like 2.75, 3.5, 4, 4 4.5, like historically those are all still very low rates and right now they're lower than the rate of inflation even so i mean mine was Um,
2: i was paying 6.75 on my first 2004 loan. so anything lower than 6.75 makes me excited because it makes way more sense
0: yeah my parents house that they they live in now they've paid it off and everything but it was six percent when they bought it in 1998 so you know at the end of the day it's still it's still very cheap money
3: Okay, um, CJ, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to tell us what it was like to play in the NFL.
4: Oh, man. Um, You got to give us something on that, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was a great (laughs) experience, man. Um, So I was undrafted. I didn't get drafted. Uh, I had to get in there the hard way. Um, I was on practice squad for, like, uh, the first, like, three or four weeks, and I got brought up to the active roster um it was cool man I'm not a big guy so I'm like I'm 5'11 185 um I was around like really really big guys um so I had to like you know play smart um I got to you know experience a lot of cool things be around a lot of cool people um some great opportunities while I was playing um yeah I don't know what else do you guys want to know
0: who's the most famous player you met
4: the most famous player that I've met. Hmm, that's a good question. Um, Tom Brady.
0: Nice. We we like him down here in Tampa.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, CeeCee. Maybe you already mentioned. So what position were you again? Uh, I played defensive back. Defensive back. So you're going up against the receiver. Sorry, I'm I'm, a, I'm not the best at at, at football in NFL, but I just. Uh, cool man oh, no worries awesome no worries and how sorry how long did you play for
4: two and a half years i count the half year because it's hard as shit to play <laughs> and, the career, and the average career is uh three years you know so it's short yeah. and
3: it's sweet and what made oh, you have to um, um end the career
4: oh i didn't decide on it um i got cut so like the okay. turnover in the nfl is so crazy um there's new guys every year coming out of college looking to take your job so yeah. I got
0: cut. So how is that, CJ, when you're cut? Like, what is it? Is there anything good that comes out of it? Are you just like the most resilient person you know now?
4: <laughs> I, I had my wife. She was there to support me through a lot of it. Um, but now, once you get cut, like, it's it's tough because, for example, the first team that I was on, um, I thought I made the team. Uh, a week later, I got cut we just moved into an apartment, just furnished it, and now I had to break the lease and give the the furniture back. And that you know, that's tough moving from city to city. Um yeah, so that's what I said about that.
3: All right, man. And just last question I have for you and then Tom we're going to let you lead this out and give the outro. But CJ, I'm curious just any general finance advice that you picked up from the nfl i know it's um i don't want to say fast money but i mean the salaries are absolutely effing incredible Mm -hmm. shelf life of an nfl player is not very long as you Mm -hmm. as you've shared with us just any and not even not even just real estate oriented if there's anything financial advice you could give to us as an nfl player and what you saw and what you lived through and experienced and enjoyed like everything. You know, What what's kind of that general one or two things that are top of the heap for you?
4: I would say first and foremost, learn how to manage your own money. Um, a lot of people, especially in the NFL, um, they let a financial advisor manage the money, um, but you have to learn it on your own. You can't like, that's not anybody else's responsibility. Um, so that's what I would say first and foremost. And then secondly, I would say make sure that you invest in um, like your retirement account. So your Roth IRA um, and your 401k and uh, index funds. So, yeah. All right, man. Love it.
3: Thank you so much, CJ. Really appreciate that. Thank you for joining us tonight and uh, sharing your advice and wisdom. Thank you, Tom. And thank you, uh, Lauren and Clint, who's... Um, yeah. We got a picture from him. His son's playing hockey and it looks incredible. Um, Tom, over to you to, for the outro. Guys, we will be meeting again next uh, Wednesday at the same time.